Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey team, Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Quadjo Giriamanting about health in the time of COVID. So Dr. Quadjo is an ICU and intensive care unit doctor in Ottawa, Canada. And he's also got his Masters of Health Administration. He's a podcast host, Solving Healthcare, and he runs a resource optimization network, which is a research institute with the goal of transforming healthcare and optimizing the use of healthcare resources. Dr. Quadjo was frontline as the first cases hit Ottawa of COVID and he shares his experiences and perspectives and he was also a go-to for mainstream media. He talks about what he saw day to day versus what was being highlighted in the media and his realisation that underlying poor metabolic health was a big driver for the severity of the illness, yet this was not a message that was readily put out there by mainstream media. So we discussed that. And while the dust has almost settled on COVID, the PTSD associated with it totally remains. And we chat about how important that metabolic health piece is, not only to protect you in the here and now, but ultimately in the long run for, for optimal health. And Dr. Quadro is so passionate about this. And you get that from his Substack, from his podcast, and just from how he talks about this topic and I just think his experiences of it is a really great take on some of the challenges that existed for not only him working on the front line but actually him as a messenger in and around that COVID times. So we talk all about this and more on the podcast and I don't know how many of you will be familiar with Dr. Quadjo actually because I, I came across him at Low Carb Denver where I was a, uh, a participant and also was an MC and I was his MC actually on that Sunday. So Dr. Quadjo Kiriamanting is a critical care and palliative care physician at the Ottawa Hospital. Dr. Quadjo cares for the sickest of the sick patients in the intensive care unit and as a researcher he's interested in using ICU resources more efficiently and improving access to palliative care in the ICU. To help do this he founded the Resource Optimization Network, a multidisciplinary research group working to reduce health spending in this area without compromising care. In September 2019 Dr. Quadro launched his ever-growing podcast, Solving Healthcare. And these podcasts feature interviews and discussions on the topic of improving healthcare delivery in Canada, but also about healthcare at the individual level and metabolic health and what you can do to help yourself. Underpinned by the values of cost-effectiveness, dignity and justice, these podcasts will challenge the status quo, leaving no stone unturned as he explores gaps, assumptions and different perspectives in the pursuit of finding solutions to problems in Canada's healthcare system. So Dr. Quadjo Kiriamanting can be found at thequadcast.substack.com and there are links in the show notes to that. And just before we kick off into the interview, which I think you're going to love, just a reminder that the best way to support this podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. 
that increases the visibility of the podcast in amongst the thousands of podcasts that are out there that people could choose to listen to. All right, team, please enjoy this conversation that I have with Dr. Quadjo Kiriamanti. funny actually I'm, I'm an early morning person and there's a real sort of like um virtue signaling around being like an early bird you know like hey am I the better person because I get up at five <laughs> exactly like the all that productivity stuff about all these gurus waking up mad early I know except of course the people like me that get up mad early are also mad tired at about four o'clock and do do bugger all basically a hundred percent I yeah I'm I think naturally I'm a a bit of a owl, night owl, but the kids have ruined that. <laughs> or improved that for you. Um, I like that yeah. reframe. Yeah, yeah. It's always about the reframe, Quad Joe. Yeah. So, um, uh, hey, thanks so much, Tara, for taking the time to speak to me today. So, I, um, your talk at Low Carb Denver really resonated with me. And I think it was, you know, I've always seen Canada and New Zealand, we're, we're like – you know, cuzzy bros, you know, I mean, we love Australia because Australia is like our annoying older brother, but you guys have always sort of like, you're just there. And, and there were a lot of parallels I felt between New Zealand and Canada throughout the pandemic. And, and even though the pandemic is, you know, people could argue it's done and dusted and we should all move on. I just, I feel like there's a lot of PTSD still actually that, uh, that is present and, and almost un, uh, unrecognized, which isn't really the 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 you know the topic of what we will potentially talk about today, but I just think it's worth acknowledging. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I was sitting there in February listening to you talk, and it really just um, uh, yeah, that's the thing that I sort of thought about Quadjo. So um, thank you for taking time to share that with my listeners. Well, and you know what you're describing is. I we felt it like uh, the the I still see the PTSD, um, like people, uh, yeah, like I completely agree. Yeah, and it's you know I speak to clients actually, and of course we're going to get into your background in a minute, but just because we're on it, like I talk to clients about their nutrition and um and every day, and there's just this element of stress that has yet to subside, and it's this undercurrent. I mean, life is stressful anyway. You know, there are so many things going on, but then layering on top of it, they talk about these habits that they developed in lockdown. Yet lockdown was you know over eighteen months ago now. Yet there's still they have yet to uh sort of get back to a, a I guess a sense of balance within an already sort of unbalanced life and I don't know if that's what you've also experienced oh, 100% the mental health side like the people are just it's like I, I feel like the the underlying tone they're hyper vigilant they're and then their ability to also get back to where that we've been like socially and all these things has, has been restricted or it's been impaired, I should say, I, I, I definitely concur. Like, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I see it on a regular basis. Even personally, I'll be honest with you, I'm not as social of a butterfly as I yeah. normally was. And yeah. I think this is because I haven't had to exercise the muscle to the same degree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and isn't that it, right? If you, you was it, use it or lose it? Yeah. Yeah. Quadro, can we um, take a step back and start with a little bit of your background? So sort of professionally, what is it that you do? What is your sort of day-to-day? 
All right, Mickey, I'm Cordial Caramante. I'm an ICU doc. I'm also department head of, of critical care at my hospital. I have my other jobs in palliative care. And when I'm not working in the ICU, I do podcasting. I do research. Uh, and so busy. And, you know, the day-to-day of the, the intensive care life is 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 wild. Like, I, I start tomorrow in the ICU, start off bright and early. We'll do some teaching to the trainees start seeing our patients and the challenge of the intensive care unit is you're not sure what to expect you sometimes the patients are super stable all of a sudden you'll get somebody that's really sick bleeding that needs intervention sooner than later so that's that's part of the the challenges of of working in the intensive care unit you're not sure what's going to walk through the door but also that's part of the the why a lot of us are, are drawn to it yeah and every day is a bit different and yeah, and so yeah, that you spend your day managing the sick patients. Communication is a big piece of our job, but yeah, it's a it's a heavy job. But I would not want to do anything else, Mickey. I I, I love it. It's so interesting, Quadro, because you've got that aspect of the acute sort of you know life or death situation. Yet a lot of the content that you put out there in your podcast and your Substack is about health and wellness and nutrition and exercise and lifestyle and metabolic health. So of course in your talk you talked about how you were frontline in COVID with the first COVID patient really that that came through Ottawa. That's right, hey. Um yeah, through our hospital was one of yeah. the first, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask, Quadro, like that other, this other element of your interest around metabolic health and nutrition and wellness, was that sitting in the background as the pandemic sort of kicked off or was this something that developed after? Like, what is that timeline like? Yeah, Mickey, great question. It was actually, if I'm being honest, it was during the pandemic. I always had a, an affinity for like healthy living. You, we were always trying to be example for our kids, but it wasn't something that was of peak interest for me. And then the pandemic hit, and then you realized how metabolic syndrome was a massive driver. Like, I don't know if people still don't understand or not, but I have yet to still, in, in my three years of taking care of COVID patients, I still haven't taken care of somebody that was completely healthy. And I'll give that caveat. I'm sure it's happened elsewhere, but even the the young patients we saw were extremely obese, as an example, and and you know not they were deemed healthy because they weren't on medication, but these were unhealthy folks. And my area of research has been typically on how we can be more effective with our resources, and it all clicked together with to me to me that if we emphasize prevention then people aren't coming into the intensive care unit that and suffering from their PTSD, their, their anxiety, depression, their deconditioning, how it affects the family. Because often if you land in ICU really sick, you're not coming out the same and you're, you're, your family's going to have to mobilize resources. But like, it was a big aha moment for me to say, like, why don't we focus on prevention? But then the crazy thing for me, Mickey, was as a guy that trained in, first, it's internal medicine. So you, you, you learn nuances of your organ function and such. I did not know you could reverse type 2 diabetes. I, I did not know. That's not something we learned about in medical school. So then, then you're telling me there's ways that people can improve, like reverse their metabolic syndrome, reverse their type 2 diabetes. I was like, okay, 
why are we not preaching this? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I hundred percent know yeah. what you mean. It's crazy, right? I and there are so many like misconceptions out there. Like I was, I was doing actually doing a talk. It's a little bit of a tangent. Doing a talk a couple of nights ago with um with a group of people for my sort of fat loss program, and I was just talking about protein and how there are meta analyses to show that you know even people at the very you know who you know people at the very end stage kidney disease, they're people that we need to think about with protein. But protein is entirely healthy for everyone else, and there are doctors on the call and they're like hang on my colleagues would really sort of challenge that and I'm like I, I'm, like the information is there but it's just not consumed by people I feel need to consume it much like the fact that type 2 diabetes can be reversed 100% this is where I'm I don't know this sounds dramatic but my my mind is completely like I'm questioning everything now yeah because yeah. The, our, the way we educate the fact that it's so hard for colleagues like myself to to comprehend or to have that information available despite there being several studies to 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 illustrate the benefits of or whether it's low carb high protein uh keto there's in reversing metabolic syndrome like we're so we're so slow to adapt and we're we maybe we don't seek the information i'm not sure where the barriers are but to me it was almost concerning that you know, if I'm someone that I feel is relatively in the know or relatively attuned to what's the latest and greatest in, in my field, and I was clueless. It took a reading Jason Fung's book, or somebody gave me Jason Fung's book. It took listening to more podcasts, uh, and then hearing the likes of Rob Wolf, the likes of Brett Scher, and and saying these things. I was just baffled. And I almost didn't believe it. I almost had, so I had to do my own digging to say, like, are these guys really doing what they're talking about? So, Quadro, when was that for you? Because, well, first of all, actually, can you, if it's all right, can you describe the experience of what it was like to be frontline in COVID at that time where no one really knew what was going, like, no one, all we heard, like, do you know, I actually remember, you know, Peter Atia. Yeah. Yeah, so I was following a long-term follower of his, and and I remember we were at home here in New Zealand, and it was like February, and I remember him started coming online and talking more. Like I'd seen a little bit in the paper, wasn't a big deal, but then he gave this massive like live about he had been up all night for for like the last seven days because of this this thing coming out of Wuhan, and 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 I'm like, oh my god, I think this is something that we need to be concerned about. Um, but then of course you're in ICU you come across the the first sort of COVID patient for your hospital like was there a lot of fear for you in in at that point like what was it like in that in that situation yeah Mickey it was it was scary uh if you know you we all were trying to put on our courageous faces on and me included but we all saw what was happening in New York Italy at the time, yeah. even even Seattle seemed to be going through something, and you were concerned about just being overwhelmed. You were concerned about your own safety. You were concerned about bringing COVID home to your family. Like at the time, I had an immunocompromised uh, caregiver. We had my, my mother-in-law, who was, you know, at the time in her late sixties, and you, you worried that you, there's going to be risk here. 
And so we were all walking on eggshells. Like when I, I can't describe that feeling when that first patient came in because we were we were all well, quiet is the word. And I, I personally, those that know me well, I'm not a quiet person. But when I get anxious or when I get nervous, it I get I just quiet down. And and I felt that was the general tone. But then we realized soon after that we were able to protect ourselves in Ottawa, where I'm from. We, we were getting overwhelmed in, in that first wave. And then we saw, like anything, you try and look to try and find some tr trends, like what, what are the common threads amongst the patients? And it became abundantly clear that there, there was a link with either being extreme age, immunocompromised, or uh, metabolic syndrome, obesity, type 2 diabetes. Was that, and in terms of the general information that the public was getting at the time, was that, in, was that congruent with what people were hearing or, or was it this climate of fear? And I think I asked that because in New Zealand that was not the message. The message was we are all at risk and, and we all, you know, um, and it is this, and, and it was a real climate of fear. Was, what was it like for you guys in Canada? Same thing. The, that was part of the reason I became more vocal when it came to the pandemic. I, my wife's a psychologist, and I remember sitting down for dinner or post-dinner, maybe even when the kids were, were down already, and we were talking about all this fear messaging. Like We'd have this conversation like, I told her, like, our kids, I'm not worried about our kids. I'm not worried about us from what I'm seeing. Like, it's unhealthy folks are getting sick from this. And, like, the literature was there, but that wasn't a common thread coming through the media at all, right? Like, it was, it was, we all need to be fearful. And then we sat down and we said, like, we need to be that a balanced voice. We need to be able to come out and say what we're actually seeing and why we need to have a holistic approach to this thing because there's going to be some consequences to our lockdowns, our restrictions, the way we're approaching this. And we knew there was a risk of putting ourselves out there. And like for those that, I should have prefaced this, those that are, that are listening that are not from our area, I, I did a lot of mainstream media locally and, and nationally to give COVID updates as, a, you know, as an ICU doc. And I would often preach saying, like, this is what we're seeing and, and try and create a little bit of balance and less fear. Like, we control what we can control, right? And, um, sometimes it was, most of the times it was well-received, but the, 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 the conversation though about metabolic health, nobody wanted to bite on that. Yeah. Interesting. And were your colleagues in the same boat, Quadjo, in terms of, you know, you had this sort of realization of, of, you know, these are people who aren't healthy. Maybe we, what we need to do is sort of focus more on that sort of health, even though obviously ICU is not an area of prevention but could you have these conversations with your colleagues or was there a little bit of a disconnect for um in in some way yeah no good question mickey it was a, it was a mix like most of the icu docs at some point realized that this wasn't a disease of 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 healthy healthy folks like they they we came to the same conclusions at differing timing the perception of of 
of obesity being a risk factor, I think some were a bit slower to, to, to acknowledge that. And the, the nature, though, of most of my colleagues was we, we realized that there was less to be anxious about as time went on because we were in it every day. We had the exposure because, I mean, think about it. In that, I don't know about for you, Mickey, in that first year or say six months, did you know many people that had COVID at that time? You know? No, yeah. we had like, we, yeah, not at all. Like we were very, like I, I think we got into, I remember someone being blown away that New Zealand got locked down because there was one case of, uh, you know, I can't remember which wave it was. I get confused about the waves, but yeah, no, very few people. And, and if you did have it, there was something seriously wrong with you. You know, it was yeah. almost that sort of mentality. Yeah, no, there, uh, yeah, there was a lot of COVID zero talk in New Zealand now that I, now that I think back but yeah, so we, we had the perspective of seeing it and being more familiarized with it. So it was less of a, less of a phenomenon, less, less scary. And so, the, so a lot of my colleagues had that perspective with time. But the talk about prevention, it, 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 was, it, was, a, it was a safe conversation to have. Most of them saw what you know, acknowledge eventually about the, the, the risk factors. But I mean, even I think of one colleague, he, he lost 30 pounds as a result of what he was seeing in that first wave. He was like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a, uh, a stat yeah, wow. fasting and, and low carb lost 30 pounds in a relatively short period of time and knew that is significantly reduced his risk. Yeah. Do you know here in New Zealand, Quadro, there was never a talk about, like, if I think about that, we had like daily updates, I'm sure you, everyone was the same, you know, daily updates with COVID numbers and, and stuff and this, and the all of the messaging was around um, uh, washing your hands and uh, six feet away, or I can't remember, something, and something else, there were these sort of like three things that, you know, this would keep you safe. And there was never check your vitamin D. There was never get out for a walk and 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 there was never think about your think about your health at all actually. And in fact, it almost became taboo to talk about health as if it was blaming people for getting COVID and it was on them and it was their personal responsibility. It was just this very strange environment where as a nutritionist, if you said anything about, hey, here are some things you can do to help prevent um, the possibility of you getting really sick, it was um, seen as uh, um, irresponsible and it was seen as white privilege and, and all of these things. Like it was very strange. This was, this drove me nuts. Yeah. It, I've never seen anything like it. It was like we lost our minds. We, I mean, we did lose our minds. You're telling me because you weren't staying exactly on message, you're dangerous? That was, that was the gist of it all. Like, you're not talking about either getting, your, if your first few messages weren't, you know, stay home, six feet away, mask, get vaccinated. Like, if you didn't mention those things out of the gate, you were controversial. And to, this is such a disservice to the, to the population. Like, think about the opportunity. Like, people were so fearful and they wanted to be empowered. And you provide them with, with the knowledge or the skills to get healthier and also put the, the, 
put an emphasis on not only you're reducing your COVID risk, but you're reducing your risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, all these things you're, you're going to improve your risk for, dementia. Like, why won't we just talk about that? Why don't we talk about getting healthy? And it's not mutually exclusive. You're not going to, you're not going to, overcomplicate the situation by people saying, hey, this is something you, this is also something that you need to take care of. But um, I don't know. I, I really felt like this was a missed opportunity. And um, hopefully in the future, we, we, we learn from it. Yeah. I'm not as optimistic about that, actually, if I'm honest. I just think about, you know, public health, just the way that it is. Like, we're like we've known for years about um, the, the risks sort of associated with obesity and um, carrying excess body fat. But also there is that sort of um, alongside that is this, you know, fat shaming idea. And if you're talking about uh, obesity, then you're not then you're making people feel bad about themselves. And I don't know, if I think about the population, Quad Joe, like nothing is like we've nothing has changed in terms of those health stats. Like everyone just you know, I don't know how you're gonna turn the how how people turn the tide on this on this stuff because it certainly I don't think things have changed or, or been better um over the last, I don't know, twenty years compared to say, you know, twenty years earlier. I don't know. It's true. Like it is a, an uphill battle. I, I guess when I was saying, I hope we learn from this, it's more that next time something like this comes around that we're not going to be so, like, we're not going to just restrict the messaging. We're, we're not going to just be so antagonistic. But you're right. I mean, if you look at the BMIs of most people now, if you look at the rates of obesity, it's all gone up courtesy of the pandemic. So you're right. We're we're not we're not talking about it. This fat shaming culture, I, I, I mean, I might get in trouble for this, but I, I think you do. I'm just more of being honest with people. If you, you if I know you're at risk because of your weight, I will tell you. Like if you like, I see it on a daily basis. The the risk of obesity and what it leads to, even if you come in for this simple problem, your risk of complications, infections. Uh, blood clots, everything gets it gets more complicated. Just death. Like I mean, I think about some some of our patients. We had trouble ventilating them, like getting enough oxygen and or clearing their carbon dioxide because of their obesity. You know what I mean? Like this is the reality. So if I'm not gonna not I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. If you're at putting yourself at risk, but not but. It's one thing to just say, you know, don't eat donuts. The other thing, too, that what, why I could, both of us could hold our heads up high is that we want to provide you with the tools on how you can get healthy and, and create healthy habits and, and staying positive and being, being in love with the process as, a part, as opposed to, you know, being more focused on the outcome. Like all these things we want to be able to deliver to our, clients or our patients so that they can achieve their goals. So, you know, it's one thing just to complain about it and, and shame people, but at the same side, we're, we're, we're providing tools. We're providing access to, to folks to, to, to get healthy. 
Mm. You know, Quadro, I've heard you um, talk on another podcast just about the how you and and of course your wife as a psychologist as well, like it's in her area, how the what you notice in terms of the impact of the strategies taken with regards to say school lockdowns and gym closures and and things like that. Like have you noticed a shift or a change in um like children and and kids as a result of of those tactics because here in New Zealand like so we had um here in Auckland particularly the the latter half of 2021 we were still holding strong to those lockdowns like we had 108 days lockdown in Auckland um kids not at school for all of that time and now what it appears like it's like schools are very quick to close for things that they I couldn't have imagined they'd close for like it rained the other day we had school closures you know like and I'm like it's just too it's, I don't know, there's just this, um, it feels to me like there's a real sense of panic and fear, not just a, around this, because this is sort of largely sort of, you know, gone now, but in other things as well. Is that, have you noticed something similar or what's it like for you? A hundred percent. There's so much to say here. So for more of the serious concerns, we know that childhood obesity, type 2 diabetes were on the rise. We know that eating disorders were on the rise. And the fact that all these mental health services for children have been overwhelmed means that a lot of people aren't getting access. So this problem is not minor. And, 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 and I, I can look at my own kids. Like I've seen them bounce back personally. Like I think they, they bounce back from the impacts of, that they had in terms of their mood and their energy. But that took a, that took some time, and we have resources, right? Like we're, we, you know, we have parents in, or their parents are in healthcare and are like on on it, right? And the impacts to me have been, I'll just say it's it's unforgivable. I, I you know, even little things when we we had this approach of this, you know, the let's stop COVID at all costs, will the risk to the kids? Think about even the RSV. RSV surge. None of these kids had exposure to a cold. Like no, no kids were getting sick, and and that lack of exposure. I, you know, you'll see some people with differing opinions. And just from my humble opinion, as not an immunologist, but as a, someone that went through medical school, is your lack of exposure to pathogens is not healthy. Whether it's wrapping up your immune system, maturing your immune system, people will differ, have different opinions about that. But the lack of exposure to pathogens, to me, was is not healthy. The fact that you would have two-year-olds that have never played with another child before, maybe who knows how that's going to impact their their development. We'll we'll find out. The yeah, the impact on the kids. This is where. I'd like to think of myself as a bit of a forgiving person, but this is this to me when we knew their risk was so low, was unjustifiable how we treated our children. Yeah, yeah, so interesting, and I feel like the um, that despite there being again information out there on on the risk associated with children, it was almost 
it was, a, I don't know if ignored is the right word, but it certainly wasn't acknowledged, you know, like particularly here anyway, you know, that was, and it was very much a, um, that sort of culture of, you know, we must protect everyone. But then also when the vaccine was available, uh, you know, there was that, um, I don't know again what it was like in Canada, but in New Zealand, if you didn't get vaccinated, then basically there were two tiers of society. So that was that was one thing. And regardless of how you feel about vaccination or not, because, I mean, because like, vaccinations, I mean, they've saved people for, you know, like hundreds of years. I don't know how actually what the history of vaccines are like. But yes, they, they save lives for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, but just the, but then when it became clear that transmit that it didn't stop transmission, and um, yet the messaging on the, I don't know, on the media was still protect your far now, protect your family, get get vaccinated, but nothing about go for a walk together and, you know, uh, get some right. exercise. Yeah. It, this is where I found it troubling as well. And I want people to understand this perspective. At, at, at some points during the pandemic, I'm, I'm having to, our staff, all of us, sleeping in the hospital, doing hours that, we, that were insane to be able to provide care for our patients. Th- that being said, the fact that we didn't give people the rights when it came to a choice about the va- vaccine, to me, is wild. Like, wild. Especially as we learn more and more about the transmission side. but. I, I come from a, a country, really, where you give people choice. And when you had a situation where, like, in my country, this is where I think we lost our, our way and lost our values. If someone chose not to, to get vaccinated, and they had a loved one across the country, there was no, they, they weren't allowed to travel to go see that, their, their loved one. And... The, the thing that people would say, oh, they're so selfish and what have you, but listen to this story. Some people, it's not, it's not as black and white as you think. There's going to be the people that you hear about on Twitter, on the news that are like, don't ingest me. I don't, I'm, not gonna, I'm anti-vax or whatever, anti-vax. I don't, I'm not going to take any vaccine or whatever. But then there's the people that had an immune disease. I knew a guy that had a uh, 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 neurologic disorder that they were worried would ramp up if he took the vaccine. I know somebody that had anaphylaxis needed to close to being on a ventilator because of the vaccine and if was forced to take a second dose you know what i mean like i know you know being in i don't know how common knowledge this is in 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 new zealand but the like black communities uh indigenous communities are often they don't have trust in the system because of historical uh mistreatment and so when somebody comes in and tells them that you got to take this, they're naturally hesitant because of the way they've been treated in the past. Now you're going to punish them for, for wanting to take time and think about their decision? No, man. What, what country is this? Where are our values? And the thing that we knew about the vaccine at the time is if I take the vaccine, regardless of your views on transmission, if I take the vaccine, I will protect myself. So that is what matters. Yeah, yeah. So it Not, be your I, don't, I don't care what the, uh, the person beside me has done because I know I've protected myself. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, wh- why are we losing our minds over this? It didn't, like, it made, it was beyond reality. I'm like, I kept on thinking I'm in the twilight zone. I'm like, how are we treating people like this? 
When have we ever treated people like this? It's 2020 at the time, 2022. Stop. Oh my God. Very similar, very similar. Um, um, and, and then thought, I wondered what it would, was like in Canada as well. But again, there are so many similarities between New Zealand and Canada. Like yet you couldn't, necessarily share the views publicly like at particularly at the time and even now actually like I'm uh like when when I see things in in the media around something I'm I'm not as I went through a, a spate of being a little bit quick probably to share my opinions and I definitely like and and afterwards I questioned whether or not that was necessarily um uh whether I should have done that and now I'm just a little bit um I don't want to focus and dwell on it, I suppose. But I, I, I like having this conversation now about sort of reflecting back on just how strange the whole thing was. Oh, and I don't get me wrong. I do the exact same thing. I, I had to, I can't count how many times I got slack for t- retweeting something or commenting on something. Uh, you know, I had attacks on our family online. I've, I've, experienced it all and you know it was all often would stem from twitter if i'm being honest it's almost always with twitter which i always said was so medieval how people would treat each other on that platform but i i I kept on saying like for the most part the most of the people that would be have the loudest voices when it came to twitter the twitter mob or covidians had never treated a covid patient or at the time never seen a covid patient so with all due respect, walking a day in my shoes or, or coming and coming to our ICU and then and tell me that my perspective isn't valid. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I don't mind differing opinions. We, I've been with other intensivists and we've, or infectious disease docs and had civil disagreement. And I've been wrong about certain things. Like I, I in, in April, 2021, I, with the vaccines out, I did not think our third wave was going to be massive. And it yeah. was really massive. Yeah, so, yeah. And I thought because of we, us vaccinating the most vulnerable that we would be okay. But the d- metabolic disease component was, uh, d- I didn't factor in and public, uh, publicly said, you know, I got this wrong. I'm okay to, I'm okay to, you know, to call it out because that's what, le- that's what leaders do. You own it. And, uh, but there were many times where we were on the right side. And I think overall, I think when, when history has been, has been, has shown that we've, many of us that were advocating for balance were justified. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, out of all of this, I think, um, it's what I saw from how you talked in at Low Carb Denver and what I've seen of your work. Actually, what, what you want to do is have a message of resilience, right? Like we are not as fragile as what what we've we've been not led to believe, but you know, like that whole fear messaging, I feel like people then start feeling more vulnerable than what they need to, but actually you can be resilient and you are anti-fragile. And that's a lot of what your messaging is out there for now, right? It's to give people tools so they can look after themselves and know that, you know, if there is in the future any and and everyone talks about, oh, and this is, you know, the first of, you know, this is just how it's going to be from now on, you know, whatever. But um, at least now that you're, you're now in this position to share that information of 
good metabolic health, of being active, of exploring diets that might work for you that are different from those mainstream sort of recommendations and, and things like that? Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't phrase it any better, Mickey, this idea of being anti-fragile. I mean, think about how important it is to feel empowered, to feel yes. that you could have a, a voice in your, in your destiny. Like, that's, that's vital. It's, it's fuel. It's what many people need to hear. And it's true. I, 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 like, I give this story once in a while where we, I, I was treating a guy who was in his 70s and had, had an accident, fell off, uh, had a, a tripped and fell, hit his head, and died for two to five minutes, somewhere in there. And when you're in your 70s and you have any cardiac arrest, when you die, you usually don't leave hospital. So what made this man different was the fact that he went to the gym five days a week. He was fit for his age. And because of that, he was one of the first patients to get, get up when, like, in terms of how like, physically get up. He, would, he was walking on a ventilator. He was highly motivated and had that reserve, that body armor to withstand all the complications that happened during his care. And he went home and he, and he is functional and he now is in his eighties and still been able to travel, play with his grandkids. Like all of that is a possibility because he took care of himself because that is not the norm. The norm is even if you survive that cardiac arrest or if you die, you, don't, you either don't leave hospital or you end up in a nursing home at that age. That's the norm. And so even from, yes, on the preventative side, less likely to land in hospital or an ICU. But if the worst thing happens to you, you're in that much better shape to recover. Same thing with uh, one of my colleagues' wives, uh, Cindy Hooper. Pancreatic cancer back in 2012. Triathlete. The will of um, ultra champion did an Ironman on chemo. Oh my god! And she's ten years out of her uh, out of her uh, cancer. Like oh my god, pancreatic yeah. cancer too. Yeah, like uh, the stories evolved. She got a re- unfortunately got a recurrence and and is on palliative uh, treatment now. But yeah. Like she, uh, the longest pancreatic cancer, one of the longest pancreatic cancer survivors that I've ever heard of. And because of how her willingness to be fit, but also what that also does too is the under the underappreciated aspect of this is the mindset. Like, you know, you've gone through the ring whether you're doing your marathons or you've been to the gym, you go to the gym even though you don't feel like it. You exercise that resilience muscle. You exercise that I could do this even if I don't feel like doing it muscle. Yeah, yeah. And it leads to survival. It leads to being functional. And yeah. that's the, the power of healthy living. That's the power of getting up, to working out. That's the power of thinking about what you eat. It's, I see it on a regular basis. And, and that's, that's, it's effective. It works. And that's why we want to encourage people to, to do it themselves. Totally. And then if I think about children, like this is what 
we we want for our kids as well you know obviously but you know because I think of um people who are in the position of that 75 year old and that is quite rare but that is something to to aspire to be when you're our age you know I don't know how old you are quad Joe like I'm 45 and I'm like hopefully oh, I'm when I'm too. 75 are you oh there you go yeah, yeah. uh and uh, but then also what about the 25 year olds who aren't even thinking like this like yeah. and you know the 18 year olds like actually it, I mean it's, it's never too late but it's also you know it's never too early and I just feel like some of this cotton walling that's gone on in with teenagers these days could have changed the trajectory of how they how they view the importance of this stuff. I don't know. Like in some circles, of course, you know, we run in circles where it's the norm. Of course, children need to be active. Of course, they need to eat healthy. Of course, they need to do all these things. And we need to be in the gym and lifting weights and whatnot. But it's a small bubble compared to like, you know, the, I don't know what the stats are like in in Canada, actually, for metabolic health. I always hear the US stats and they are horrific. I wonder what um, Canada is like, but so many people just still like this message isn't uh, isn't uh, penetrating. I don't think. Yeah, I I actually I worry for yeah the, the 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 demographic that went through high school years and so forth not having to move as much. They're on their phones. They've been they were stuck at doing homeschooling as a result of the pandemic. Those are formative years, not only socially but also physically. You 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 time to play your High school sports, like I, I, some of my fondest memories are playing city finals in in basketball, volleyball, track, whatever it might be. And I'll be honest with you, this is one of the areas where my wife and I took took very seriously, like the healthy living. We want to be the example for our kids. Like we don't have to always preach it; they see it. You know, dad, why dad's in the gym again downstairs, right? Where mommy's uh, doing another yoga session. We're talking about uh, we celebrate having a significant amount of protein on our plate. You know, we oh, we, do this, awesome. we we do this uh, tradition in our house. We call it going beast mode. So if you finish your, you know, we and don't get me wrong too. But by the way, like my kids will eat junk, but yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we still want to emphasize that you know if you you eat better, you feel better, and you're you're you're, you're more likely to to thrive. And so one of the things we do is whenever, especially the younger two, if they finish off their meals, you get to take off your shirt, stand on the yeah. chair and say, beast mode and flex your muscles, right? <laughs> and so, so that's the tradition. And I'll go beast, you can go beast mode today? Got to finish off that uh, chicken breast before you go beast mode, son? And then, yeah, the shirts come off. And I mean, daddy always finishes his meal so he doesn't have to go beast mode, but every once in a while, I won't shy away from it either. But yeah, it's it's so you make it fun, you make it part of culture in the house. But we 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 make a real point of being the example, and uh, I don't know. I we'll find out years from now if it's effective. But yeah, yeah. always always be the change. Like better to show it than to preach it. Hundred percent agree with that. So, Quadro, as I understand, your sort of platform that you uh, that you sort of educate on this stuff isn't just for the general public. You're doing it for your colleagues as well, like people who are interested. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, in in a way, we we frame it in the in the in a wellness space where where during the the, the pandemic we did see a lot of burnout, and we 
on our own platform and through a grant, we we pr produced a a project called Solving Wellness, which provided online tools for people to improve their wellness. And and the the pillars were uh, nutrition, movement, community, and oh my goodness, why am I forgetting? Sleep. Uh, yeah, stress management. Thank you. Yeah, stress, yeah. yeah, which is for healthcare providers is almost always sleep is uh, one of the key pillars. So, yeah, we often get to give talks to to other healthcare organizations to talk about the ways to address these things, and just naturally, through my job and, and the platforms we created, a lot of healthcare providers reach out or connect with me, which is. Really exciting from my perspective because they're amplifiers, right? Like if you have a nurse practitioner, family doc can bring some of these concepts to their practice. People often go to them for advice because you're in the healthcare field. So anytime that you can reach out and connect with someone that's in the field, the healthcare field, to me, that's a massive win. And so, yeah, we, that's, that's been an area that we've been tackling for sure. Yeah. And what about personally for you, Quadjo, when you, so obviously you've, you've always, you and your wife have always um, uh, valued health and wellness um, through your own practices and your family, but did your, your own habits change after coming across low carb fasting and all of that? I'm really interested to see like, what have you sort of tried and explored? Because everyone wants to know what, you know, what are those people? What are they actually up to? Yeah, I love that question. So the I I started doing intermittent fasting maybe five years ago. I I I, I jumped on the train with the, I think it was Peter Tia. I think I heard him on Rogan and talking about the benefits of fasting. So I tried it out mostly for convenience and the ability to essentially like. Eat whatever I want. <laughs> quantity of that, maybe yes. not that, the type of food, but the quantity I want during my eating window. And I thought it was so convenient. And then I liked the way I felt when I was working out in a fasted state. And so I, I really uh, harnessed that. Sorry, the, the the baby just entered the building, and he's that's so good. He's loud. But I'm sorry, but the 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 since learning about a lot of this i've tried so i tried I've, my carb ingestion is down for sure i've i try to i try to approach it as during a work week if i'm my first meal is i'll have carbs but it'll be less less than i would have at night i find that could help you wind down a little bit if there's more of the carb uh nocturnally and and and, and sometimes it uh I don't know if this is true, but sometimes, at least psychologically, I feel like it helps with improve my sleep. But no, no, that uh, is true because it's the uh, serotonin thing, right? Carbs yeah. help produce serotonin, help produce melatonin. Yeah, yeah. So I, ever since doing that, I've I've noticed that two three p.m. I, I'm less likely to need a coffee because I'm just more I'm just more uh, less sluggish. So I've tried that. I tried keto for a two week period, and I did not like. I didn't like myself on keto. I lost like yeah. five pounds and I didn't need to lose five pounds. I no. was crampy and I tried the electrolytes. Like it just wasn't for me, but obviously I, I, I still advocate it for people depending on 
what their circumstances are. Uh, and yeah, those, those are the main things I've tried. I mean, you learn more stuff, little hacks too. Like I tried, I had a CGM on for, what was it, about two or three years ago. I found that fascinating. I, I, I suggest it for every. I mean, I'm sure you've you mentioned this before, but I, I think everyone should try a CGM for a period of time, continuous glucose monitor, because the things you learn were fascinating. Like, if I was on call, if I had the two or three hours of sleep, my glucoses were all over the place. If 100%. I was if I was doing a big leg day, I, I could eat yeah. anything, and there was nothing, and my glucose was nice and steady. Um, the idea of, like, if I had a carby meal and you add a bunch of protein to it, level things off, um, walking off, walking post-meal, that also, I noticed, would stabilize your blood sugar. Like, there was so many little things that you learn that you I can know. break. I know. So, I learned, like, there are these protein bars, which I used to love, and I still love them. These, they're, they're low-carb, apparently low-carb. They're these vegan. I'm not vegan, but these are vegan. Um, and, and the fiber in them totally spiked my blood sugar. Really? So, even though they say it's like uh, one gram of sugar and three grams of net carbs, the type of fiber they use spiked my blood sugar. When I have wine and hot chips, you know, I love a hot chip, like a nice pub chip. Like oh, like, my, a, like french fries? Like yeah, the, yeah, 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 like french fries, yeah. but fat ones, um, yeah. not these skinny ones. Um, uh, stable, really stable blood sugar because the alcohol brings your blood sugar down. I'm not advocating this as a healthy <laughs> thing to do. But I just found it, I agree with you. I thought it was really fascinating and people can learn so much about how food impacts them because it's so individual. Like we can come out with these like guidelines and these recommendations, but until someone sort of tries it on for themselves, they're never going to know. Exactly. And it just, to me, it's not to get too philosophical, but it's where I hope my research platform goes is more personalized health. Like really thinking about who's in front of you and what's optimal for them, despite what the studies on a general population might tell you, because we approach our research studies with often with the general public in mind, you know, you give this, this patient group X versus Y when they come into a hospital for their heart attack. And this works 20 or like three increases your absolute risk of reduction. Uh, by you know two three percent, but we never ask ourselves who's going to get the most benefit from it. Like we never approach research that way, which I think is where we need to go because really that's what matters. It's you and I might take the same drug because because of, of the same because a study said it'd be more effective, but because of my genetic background, because of my gender, I might be less likely to respond to it. And we need to be asking those questions more often. But yeah, when it comes to nutrition, anybody that comes telling you is a cookie cutter, like everybody needs to do X, Y, or Z, that's when you got to walk out the door. Yeah, 100%. Um, Quadro, I really loved our conversation. Like, I, I really wanted to just really get a feel for your your work and also what you saw and also your approach now like I think that that's um um it's it's great and you're so available with regards to the information you put out with the podcast and the Substack. so can you just let us know where people can find that information 
Oh, thank you once again, Mickey, for just being a monster advocate for health and wellness and everything beautiful. The the easiest place to find us is the Substack, so Quadcast, K-W-A-D-C-A-S-T dot Substack dot com. And we house everything there. We have our ebooks, our podcast, video posts, meal plans. Uh, the uh, I'm hoping to have our book out. Uh, oh, it's a amazing. book on leadership out that uh, hopefully by the uh, that'll be out soon, and we'll obviously have that information there. But and then anywhere on social media is at Quadcast. The biggest ones on TikTok or IG. So uh, yeah, because we we we're welcome to to hear people's input, and we we aim to deliver to once again with that goal of just getting folks healthy. Yeah, awesome. And Quadru, are you speaking at any conferences coming up in the near future? I'm trying to figure out if we're going to Omaha or not. Is it Omaha? It's uh, refit and fabulous. Um, Oh, yes, it will be. It is, is, isn't it? Nebraska? Nebraska, yes. Right now I'm supposed to be working, so I'm I'm seeing if I could finagle that one. And then... (laughs) Otherwise, I don't think that there's a couple non non conference uh, talk like speaking engagements I'm doing, but uh, yeah, I I I, I'm lo- I love those conferences by the way, like we, we, like the low carb, the energy, the the lack of dry content. It's so different than a typical medical conference. So it's yeah, I, I look forward to. I think the next one I'll, I'll probably go to is the Metabolic Health Summit in, in Florida. I think that'll be Yeah, I'm, I'm booked to go there as well just because they are the best conferences. Like that and the Low Carb Denver, like that was it. You you do, you learn so much. And even like when you know stuff, like, you know, often you, you think, I'll go to a conference, won't really learn that much. You just are blown away by the um, content and uh, the stuff is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, Quadjo. Well, thank you so much. I will put links to your um, Substack and your Instagram account in the show notes. And um, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for taking time to speak. Thanks so much for having me. Alright team, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation and I'm sure you got a sense for just how passionate Dr. Quadro is in this area. So I'd certainly recommend checking out his website that is in the link and of course his podcast. He had done an interview just in uh, the end of May um, with Lara Bryden, who you know is a good friend of mine, and that was a fantastic talk as well. So you will get a lot from the information that Dr. Quadro shares. All right, team, next week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Ted Naiman all about my favorite topic, protein and protein to energy ratio and satiety. Until then, though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, or head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, where you can book a call with me or sign up to one of my meal plans. All right, team, you have a great week. <laughs>